1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow
0: Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we've got a Vault episode for you. This one originally published March 15th, 2022. It's part one of our series on Finn McCool. But hey, we should be uh, back with all new content for you starting tomorrow. But for today, let's get right into the Finn McCool saga.
2: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production
0: of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And it is the week of St. Patrick's Day, so I thought it would be fun to turn our attention to Irish mythology once more. Uh, And in this case, we're going to be considering the mythic hero, Finn McCool, a noted warrior, wonder worker. Uh, We're going to get into all of that. But uh, I guess what I was especially interested in, what kind of pulled me in initially, was his thumb. The thumb of knowledge <laughs> upon which he was said to suck or to at least to place the thumb inside of his mouth in order to, to receive great insight or perhaps even see into the future.
0: Yeah. R- Rob, I was going to ask. So uh, this topic was your idea. And I was wondering, did you come to it thumb first or hero first? Was it like you're reading about <laughs> Finn McCool and all the legends and then you come across this thumb story and you're like, let's talk about that. Or were you reading about legends
1: of thumbs? I was reading about, I was actually reading about some other mythological figures. And then I was like, well, what am I doing? It's St. Patrick's Day. Uh, the Irish mythology is so rich, there's got to be something we haven't talked about on the show before. And then I uh, started reading about Finn McCool. And when I read about the thumb, which I somehow either, either had never read about before or had forgotten about, I, I was instantly in. Now, Finn itself is a, is a common Irish hero name for uh, characters of all genders um, related to Find, or meaning white or fair, I've read, but uh, refers to wisdom rather than skin tone, according to the Encyclopedia of, um, of uh, Celtic uh, Mythology and Folklore by uh, Patricia Monaghan.
0: Yeah, I was reading that Finn is a variant of the Irish name Fionn, spelled like F-I-O-N or F-I-O-N-N, which means white or fair, but usually I think referring to hair color. And there are some legends of Finn McCool that say he had white hair from an early age, possibly due to some kind of magical uh, rapid aging and de-aging procedure.
1: Huh. All right. Well, I mean, it would make sense, like the, the association between... Uh, like white hair and age and age and wisdom, and mm-hmm. therefore, if someone had uh, uh, prematurely white hair, there could perhaps be some air of oh, they are they have the wisdom of of an older man uh, or an older woman, despite the fact that they are uh, otherwise quite young.
0: And speaking of the variant of the name Finn versus Fionn, I think it uh, it's worth saying at the beginning that there are two different ways of spelling the name that are uh, essentially the same character or slight variations on the same character. One is... Uh, commonly spelled in the anglicized uh, version, just like we're saying it, Finn McCool. But the other one is spelled more like Fionn, and then the last name is Mac, C-U-M-H-A-I-L, or H-A-I-L-L, which, uh, from what I understand, I I know uh, pronunciation of of a lot of these uh, Irish words is notoriously tricky for English speakers
1: like us, but uh, I think that is also pronounced pretty much just McCool. So, Finn McCool, uh, great name, by the way. It's one of these names that, uh, especially today with connotations of cool and coolness, it's, yeah. it's instantly interesting as a hero's name. But uh, if you're not familiar with him, he stands alongside uh, uh, C- Cullin as one of the, the two great heroes of Irish mythology. Uh, he's a much, much later hero than Cullin, uh and like any hero of myth, there are varying tales about him. It is interesting that both characters are known for entering altered states of consciousness. Uh, Finn for his uh, prescient thumb state, where he can, you know, can, as we'll discuss, can can place his thumb inside of his mouth and uh, and with with uh, you know some other um, uh, like chanting effects, uh, you know, stare into the future or at least gain some sort of uh, supernatural wisdom. And Cucullin, as we discussed in our past episode on Cucullin, was able to enter the warp spasm in battle, where he's in this altered state of uh, of, uh, of, of barbarian rage.
0: He sort of transforms into a semi-monster.
1: Yeah, kind of like a Hulk mode, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Finn McCool, uh, what's the origin story, right? Every good hero has an origin story. Well, we're told that his father died when he was very young, uh, either due to a crime of his own doing or some conflict with a rival clan. There are different variations on that. Either way, he ends up being raised by his mother, and, um, and Monaghan, uh, in the, the, uh, the, the book that I referenced uh, earlier, stresses the importance of female energy in his raising, especially as his mother Myrna claimed divine descent from Nuada of the Silverhand, the first king of the Tuatha Uh The, the Tuatha Dudanen were the, um, the sort of fairy folk, uh, godlike beings of, uh, of Irish mythology.
0: And I would say often having a rather ambiguous character and relationship to humanity. They're not like consistently Mm -hmm. either enemies or helpers. They can kind of be either one.
1: Yeah, you see a lot of their spirit reflected in some of the the modern ideas of elves in fantasy settings. You know, they're, Mm -hmm. they're superior to humans, but they are of the previous age. They're maybe not as invested in this world as they once were, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, and according to some legends, like their their strength in this world is waning.
0: Like I know there's yeah. um, one story that involves Finn McCool and his uh his band of warriors, uh, the the defenders of Ireland, who we'll we'll talk about more as we get on. But they uh in in one story they end up going on a journey across the sea to an island where they have been, I think, sort of lured by members of the Tuatha Dé and to come join them and sort of uh, re-energize them or, or provide a supplemental strength to the waning strength of these beings from a past age.
1: By the way, if, if you've seen the movie Hellboy 2, uh, I believe uh, the the um, antagonists in that film are supposed to be uh, the Tuatha Dé and I believe, in fact, that uh, uh, we're supposed to see Nuada uh, as the as the primary antagonist there. That's the one that Hellboy has a big fight with. mm Anyway, so Finn McCool, he's raised by his aunt and his foster mother, the druid uh uh, B- uh bodhmal, and uh, he's trained in combat by the warrior woman uh, L- uh Lurgan, and he accidentally kills her in combat. And then the incident with the salmon of knowledge occurs around this time. We're going to come back to that because it uh, it's uh it's 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 quite a tale. And uh, also shortly after this, he ends up actually taking the name Finn after he defeats his first enemy in combat. But then he goes on to study his craft further, under the warrior woman, uh, Buanan, as well as the male warrior, Sethern uh, MacFountain. Basically, he completes his Jedi training. He becomes this near-perfect warrior, uh, who, uh, who also has this ability to tap into hidden wisdom or see into the future. And then he assembles this band of warriors to defend his province of Leinster, Still called that today in the southeast and east of Ireland. And from here on out, the story, you know, includes various exploits and adventures, and we'll touch on some of these. Uh, But he also engages in a number of romantic conquests. Uh, They don't don't always go so well. His death is told in various stories, and uh, depending on where you're hearing them or reading them, uh, his death is said to have taken place at different points, uh, different places uh, spread across Ireland and Scotland. Uh, and there's also this idea that he may have been reborn as the hero Mongan. Uh, still other tales say that he did not die at all, but that he and his Fianna uh, wait in a cave to one day rise up and defend Ireland once more, more uh, you know, very much in, the, in, in keeping with uh, uh, the, the tales of King Arthur, how one day King Arthur will return and rise up and protect uh, England.
0: Yeah, when I was reading these stories of Finn McCool, I kept noticing other parallels to King Arthur because uh, – so not only is there th- this idea that he's you know resting somewhere maybe one day to be called up to, uh, to defend his, his nation again, but there is also a similarity to the, the Lancelot and Guinevere story in that uh, there's a story where, where Finn McCool's wife falls in love with uh, one of his greatest warriors, uh, a man named Diarmid – who obviously reminds me a lot of Lancelot and Guinevere. And, uh, and mm-hmm. they, they ultimately come to, uh, I think, not battle each other, but I believe the legend goes that Diarmuid has to go fight a boar, and then the boar gravely wounds him, and uh, that uh, Finn McCool could save him by offering up water from his hands that would be healing because of his magic powers, but he essentially uh, denies that healing power to his rival, and he dies.
1: Yeah, that's right. One of the side effects, I guess, of acquiring the thumb of knowledge is that uh, that we're told that Finn McCool can can form his hands into a cup, uh, collect water, and that water will have healing properties. Pretty great as even just a second tier superpower, if you ask me. Well, it feels like one of those
0: pylon powers, you know, where, Mm -hmm. you know, I really like a folk hero who has one power and it's a pretty specific power. But uh, but I don't know. It, the legendary heroes just tend to accumulate more and more powers over the you know in the telling over the years. I, at least it seems that way.
1: Yeah, in in the same way that sometimes you'll have a, a mad scientist in a, in a, f- a fictional tale where. Uh, they seem to have too many interests, too many technologies at their disposal. Like, yes. you, you know, are you a time traveler or are you a power armor guy? Are you, are you building robots or do you have an invisibility belt? Like you, you need to like really focus in on one and exploit that. Because otherwise we, we really don't know what we're dealing with scene to scene. I just make giant scorpions. That's it. <laughs> there you go. It, it behooves you to specialize in the realm of mad science or, or, or being a mythological hero. That's right. You know those giant scorpions are quality.
0: It takes focus to make them.
1: Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
0: Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
3: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills.
1: All right, well, let's get into the exploits of Finn McCool here, and we're going to start with a, with a big one, uh, one that uh, is a, if, you've, if you're familiar with Finn McCool and you're otherwise not that familiar with Irish mythology, you probably know this one.
0: Yes, though it's weird because I think this might be one of the best known Finn McCool stories, but I think it's also sort of an outlier in that it portrays Finn McCool with different properties than he usually has. And I think these legends probably also come later than a lot of the other legends. Mm. But anyway, this one we're going to talk about is a piece of geomythology, a story created to explain geological features of the earth. Now, a lot of the geomyths we've looked at uh, in previous episodes explain big masses of rock or bodies of water as some part of the body of a god, whether living or dead. But this story is one of the other common types, which is explaining natural formations as architecture that was built by the demigods of old. And the feature explained in this story is known as the Giant's Causeway. So to start with the plain observation of nature, there is a stretch of coast along the north of Northern Ireland in County Antrim that is covered with tens of thousands of hexagonal columns of basalt. Now, this is not the only place in the world that has columns of this type. You might have seen them at uh, Devil's Tower in Wyoming or or other places around the world. I know there are some in... uh, in the Northwest in the United States, like in Washington state. Um, but, but you can find these in various places. They're usually made of basalt, but sometimes other uh, volcanic rocks will, will take this form. And if you haven't ever seen uh, these things known as uh, columnar basalt, uh, you, you should look them up because they're, they're absolutely beautiful. And they're one of those natural formations that just doesn't look natural at all. I think many people who look at uh, columnar basalt, They consult their intuitions and they immediately come to think, this is artificial. Somebody built this, somebody carved these rocks. And it might be an interesting question to ask why our intuitions work this way, why you look at these columns of rock that mostly take the form of a hexagon and think that this has got to be made by a person or by a god instead of by nature. I guess it looks so strange because we tend to assume that clean regular lines and angles like the kind we see in polygons like like a hexagon are just not to be found in nature nature should have uh i don't know uh more a more irregular fractal kind of edges
1: yeah i think that's a huge part of it uh, along with the, the 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 rough uniformity of everything like it's not yeah. just uh Oh, here's an interesting rock that has uh, these these properties. No, look at all of them. <laughs> it looks like there was some sort of an industrial scale, uh, you know, alien brick making project here.
0: Right. They look like they were extruded out of a machine. Yeah. But anyway, th- there's been this stretch of the coast along Northern Ireland that uh, that has had these columns there for for millions of years. And over the centuries, there arose some folk tales in order to explain the origins of these columns.
1: Yeah. So the the Giant's Causeway, uh, again, this is the, the, the Irish site in question. It's composed of roughly 40,000 uh, interlocking columns. Uh, and again, this is due to a volcanic fissure eruption. No, no alien brick making involved here. This all went down roughly 50 to 60 million years ago. Um, that's what we know now. But uh, according to uh, Irish mythology, however, it was built by Finn McCool. And not just any Finn McCool, not the regular sort of a superhero Finn McCool. This is a giant Finn McCool. Yes, when you, when you read accounts of this, generally he's described as a giant, despite the fact that He's not really described as a giant in any other telling. Finn McCool is generally viewed as a, 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 a you know a, a, a human hero or a hero with human proportions. It's only in this case where he's he's gigantic. Now, one thing I did read was that uh, there there's, there's some thinking that this formation may have originally been associated with other mythological. Uh, creators, there may have been different geo mythology in play. It might have been attributed to the monstrous Fomorians, which were mm. this these uh, you know giant race that were said to be um, you know previous occupiers of the territory who were cast out uh, at one point or another. Uh, so you know it, it, it could have been later on where someone 's like, Well, the uh, you know, Fomorians are all right, but but Finn McCool is awesome. Uh, Let's, let's adjust the story somewhat. And Finn McCool becomes the uh, creator of the Giant's Causeway. The basic idea with Finn McCool and these formations as the, is that, okay, we have the for- these formations in Ireland. Uh, and then we also have uh, very similar formations found at Fingal's Cave on the Isle of, uh, of Staffa in Scotland. And the idea here is that, well, on both sides here, we, we must have the remnants of a mythological bridge between these two lands. And so the idea is that Finn is said to have built the bridge as a means of reaching the other side and battling a rival giant.
0: Yes. And this is the tale of of the giant's causeway. So... There appear to be a lot of versions of this story. From what I can tell, this is a a folktale that emerges from from oral tellings without a canonical original text. So I think it's pointless to try to quest after the original here. I'm just going to tell it as a kind of synthesis of the multiple versions I have read. I I have no idea which form of the story is oldest or could claim to be closest to the original. But here it goes in my synthesized form. Once upon a time, there was a giant named Finn McCool who lived in Ireland with his wife Una. And Finn McCool was brave and strong, but he was also hot-tempered and rash. And far across the water in Scotland, there was another giant. This was a nasty brute named Benendonner, or the Red Man. And Ben and Donner used to harass Finn McCool and his neighbors, shouting vicious slander and hair-raising taunts across the water at them. Uh, You can imagine the kind of uh, the French taunter from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm -hmm. Just just brutal, brutal put-downs. Your mother was a hamster, all that kind of stuff. And Finn (laughs) became so furious at the other giant that he uprooted an enormous boulder and hurled it at the Scottish ogre, but... He missed, and the boulder landed in the sea, and this boulder became the Isle of Man. And so Finn sat around stewing, thinking, I must destroy this fool, but I don't want to get my feet wet by swimming over there, (laughs) so how can I reach him? And then he came up with an idea. He would build a bridge out of stone. So between the Irish shore and the rocky coast of Scotland, he put together a stone causeway that would allow him to walk all the way across And this causeway was the uh, was the origin of the basalt pillars that we can still see today. But of course, the pillars don't go all the way across anymore. So what happened there? Well, having completed his causeway, uh, Finn, you know, he, he gets his blood up and he decides to run across the sea to the other side and give Ben and Donner a good walloping to shut him up. But unfortunately, as brave and strong as Finn McCool was, once he got a look at the Scottish giant up close, his blood ran cold. Because Ben and Donner was a monster, a beast, even bigger and stronger than Finn himself. And Finn knew that he would not win a fair fight with Ben and Donner. So, uh, bravely ran away away. Uh, he, <laughs> he <laughs> uh, when, when danger reared its ugly head, he turned his yellow tail and fled. And so he ran back home to hide. But unfortunately, now that he had built a causeway, it could be crossed in both directions. So Ben and Donner soon came over the bridge to Ireland looking for Finn. Finn did not know what to do. But fortunately, his wife Una was diabolically clever, much cleverer than her husband. And she came up with a plan. And it goes like this. (laughs) Una dressed Finn up as a baby. And made him lay down inside a giant cradle. You with me so far? Yeah. So uh, soon, Bin and Donner came knocking at their door. And he said, open the door, Finn McCool. Uh, come out and fight me and I'll give you a beating you'll never forget. Instead, Una opened the door. And she welcomed Ben and Donner inside and showed him hospitality. She said... My husband is not home right now, but he'll be glad to fight you when he gets back. In the meantime, please sit down and help yourself to some bread. I baked it just the way my husband likes it. So Ben and Donner broke off a piece of the loaf and bit into it, but immediately he spat it out. And he shouted, this bread cracks my teeth, because secretly Una had baked bars of iron into the dough. And so she feigned, uh, you know, uh, she feigned ignorance and said, I'm sorry, I I didn't think it would trouble such a strong man as yourself. My husband loves that recipe. Even our baby (laughs) eats it that way. And this uh, directed Ben and Donner's attention to the baby, which was, again, Finn himself in disguise (laughs) as a baby in a crib. And uh, so when Ben and Donner went over and got a look at the child, he said to himself, if the baby is already an iron eating giant as he lies in his crib, his father must be the size of a mountain. I cannot beat this guy. So here at this moment, Ben and Donner is seized with fear. He's he's he is fully bought into Una's trickery and Ben and Donner runs away. And as he flees, he destroys the bridge of stone that Finn had built so that his enemy can never come and find him. And all that's left is the part of the bridge on the Irish shore and the part on the Scottish side. Again, that's near the place called Fingal's Cave. And this is one of my favorite showdown stories of all time now, defeating your enemy by dressing <laughs> as a baby. It is so good.
1: I love it. Yeah, you think you're going to get just this giant battle throwdown. and Instead, you get this, uh, this comedic um, uh, 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 game of deception. I love it.
0: Now, there is another version that actually has a fight, though it involves a lot of the same elements. So, this other version I was reading about was – I was reading about it in a book that I know you're going to reference later, the one by James uh, McKillop called uh, Fionn McCool, Celtic Myth in English Literature, published by Syracuse University Press in 1985. And McKillop – Draws attention to a version of the story told in William Carleton's The Legend of Knockmany, and this is from the mid 19th century. And uh, the variations in Carlton's version are that the other giant is not named Ben and Donner, but is named Cucullin. Ah, uh, interesting. Uh, you know, that's the name of another Irish folk hero that uh, originally had nothing to do with this story. Uh, so I don't know what's going on there. Maybe
1: it's just sort of blending together of strong man in in folk stories. Or just realizing uh, we've got to have these two characters fight each other. You know, this is like the, the Batman and right. the Superman of the
0: day. Well, so many elements of the story are the same as the version I just told, but some things are different. This version includes a detail that when Finn returns home to Una... He says he's afraid that he will be skivered like a rabbit if he has to fight Cú but Una knows that Cú power is contained in the middle finger of his right hand. He has a magic middle finger, mm. and she knows if you can compromise the finger, you sap his beastly magic, and he, he, he'll lose his strength, he won't be able to fight. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, Samson's hair or something, except this is the middle finger of his right hand. So, like in the version I told, Cúchulain comes over and uh, and Una feeds him bread with metal, or I think in this case it's uh, stones of granite inside, and he breaks his teeth on the bread. Then when he hears that even their baby eats this bread, Cúchulain is incredulous and he has to go feel the baby's teeth. Again, the baby is actually Finn McCool in disguise. And when Cúchulain reaches inside the baby's mouth to feel its teeth, Finn bites off the magic middle finger and now the giant is as weak as a mortal man. So
1: Finn beats him up very easily. All right. So it started out like it was going to be like this big uh, throwdown, but again, we have a, a, a comic game of deception in play once more.
0: Yes. And McKillop points out that in this story, It's interesting that Finn is victorious, but only after both showing cowardice in running away from the initial fight and resorting to trickery, trickery that wasn't even his idea. It's not even like he he's a, you know, a a cunning fox like Odysseus. Una is the real hero of the story. She comes up with the whole idea of how to like she has the knowledge about the magic middle finger and she comes up with the whole plan. So uh, and he has to dress as a baby in order to defeat his enemy. So it's a weird kind of simultaneous victory and humiliation. He wins essentially Hmm. by no virtue of his own. (laughs) But there are a couple of things I kept thinking about with the story that are going to tie into uh, what you'll bring up in more detail when you talk about the thumb of knowledge, because so first of all. It has it's a story in which Finn McCool dresses up as a giant baby. And one thing that we know Finn McCool did in other legends is suck on his thumb in order to to gain insight or knowledge, which of course, is associated with, You know, that's what babies do. But the other thing is that Finn McCool has to bite off the magic middle finger of his enemy in order to defeat him and steal his power. So his enemy has a magic finger in this story, just like Finn McCool does, though the magic thumb is not really mentioned in this telling.
1: Yeah, I mean, this all has to be connected. Uh, I don't remember uh, tales of Cullin's magic middle finger coming up when we uh, researched uh, the, the hero previously. Uh, and, and clearly the idea of, of Finn McCool, uh, who has this thumb of knowledge, the idea of him dressing up as a baby feels like, I mean, it feels like a, a perfect creation. Like you can imagine that just being, you know, whatever the exact origins are, and we'll get into that, of the uh, of the thumb of knowledge, it just makes sense that somebody later would think of, but what if he also acted like a baby? Uh, you can't help but go there because, of course, uh, babies uh, putting fingers and or their thumb in their mouth, sucking on their thumb, it's it's a universal reality. And it's been, uh, you know, you see it reflected in various uh, uh, myths and traditions around the world. So uh, you couldn't help but go in that direction. Today's episode is brought to you
0: by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride.
3: Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a man. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Snag a job
2: is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers
0: Now, before we move on, I did want to come back to the geological question of of what actually causes hexagonal columns to form in volcanic rock. Like, what is the the actual scientific origin of the the rocks that were believed to be part of the giant's causeway? Uh, so oh, we settled column- that giants, giants, right? right. <laughs> yeah. So these columns are are usually, but not always, found in a type of rock called basalt which is a type of igneous rock that's created when lava flows out of a volcano or out of a fissure in the earth and then cools. And under certain conditions, the cooling process of that uh, that that liquid lava can give rise to columns like the kind we see at the Giant's Causeway. So when molten lava settles and begins to cool, what happens is its surface begins to set, turning from a glowing orange liquid into this, this solid dark shape. And this cooling happens from the outside in. So the part exposed to the atmosphere, or uh, especially I think when this occurs in water, that the part that's exposed to either air or water, that cools the fastest. And then the parts underneath retain their heat the longest. And as the surface cools, it also contracts. It literally shrinks in volume. Uh, So this is something that's Common to all kinds of materials, as their as their temperature goes down, they shrink in in volume. Uh, You can observe this if you like. You ever seen videos, Rob, of people uh, freezing balloons in liquid nitrogen?
1: Um, I feel like I have. What happens when you freeze a balloon in in liquid nitrogen?
0: It's really interesting. It shrinks. So you can take a balloon that's inflated and kind of plunge it into liquid nitrogen and then it shrinks down. It looks like it's completely deflated, but then if you take it out of the liquid nitrogen, sit it on a table or something, it will gradually, as it warms up, re-inflate again. So like what's going on, it's almost as if it's magic, but what's happening is the cooling of the gas inside the balloon causes that gas to contract, and it it shrinks down and down and down until the balloon is essentially deflated. Then when it warms back up, it expands again.
1: Oh, okay. Maybe I haven't seen videos of this before.
0: It's worth looking up. It looks really cool. I bet you can shrink a balloon by putting it in your freezer as well.
1: Yeah, maybe that's what I've seen before. Hmm. Probably not as fully
0: shriveled as the, the... Liquid right. nitrogen will get you. But anyway, um, so so yeah, things tend to uh, contract. They shrink as they cool. And the same thing is true of this lava. So the surface cools faster than the, than the part down below. And as the surface uh, cools, it shrinks. But as this contraction is happening, it's also setting up solid at the same time. So the surface of the lava actually cracks as it shrinks. And so especially if the cooling is happening in a fairly evenly distributed way, what tends to happen is that these cracks occur around evenly spaced centers of surface contraction that occur at, at pretty fixed intervals, sort of you can map them map them as a bunch of dots around the surface of the uh, the lava formation, and uh, and they'll be pretty evenly spaced out, and then the cracks form around those centers of cooling, and they one of the easiest ways for those cracks to form is roughly into hexagons around those centers. And as the cracks form on the surface, the lava mass continues cooling and the cracks propagate vertically down into the center of the mass, forming these columns. And so eventually the mass cools and solidifies entirely, and we're left with columnar basalt, uh, like we find at the Giant's Causeway. It all started with cracks on the surface from the cooling, and those cracks penetrated deeper and deeper as the mass of lava cooled.
1: And again, the result is just quite impressive. I've not been to one of these sites and seen it in person, but uh, researching this a little bit and looking at some of these photographs, uh, oh, uh, it, it makes me want to go.
0: I know I've seen some in person at a, at a volcanic site in Oregon. and I can't recall if I've seen any anywhere else.
1: I know there is, a, I, it's, it's either an elaborate set or a location that's used in the, uh, the TV series Raised by Wolves. Uh, that looks a lot like this. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, it's my understanding that that show is filmed in South Africa. So I don't know if there's a South African uh, location that uh, has, a, has a similar geography going on or if that's all just, uh, you know, a set or something. At it, it, any rate, it looks impressive in that show as well. If we were only in the office, I could just yell at Holly and ask her since she does the, the podcast for Raised by Wolves.
0: Oh, yeah. She's got the hookup for all your, your basalt information.
1: All right, so that's the, the Giant's Causeway. That's a little geo-mythology, but we all know that it takes a little more than geo-mythology uh, to, to make a mythic hero. We also need uh, some sort of a monster battle. There has to be a slaying of some sort. If not a monster battle, then at, at least some sort of epic battle against another you know, humanoid adversary. Uh, and in this case, oh, we've, uh, we've, got, a, we've got a pretty good one. Uh, we have the slaying of Ailen McMidna, A.K.A. The Burner. Mm. So, (laughs) Alien I I apologize, but that makes me think of him as a phone. Well, my my mind instantly went to the possibility that he's really into going to Burning Man in various (laughs) uh, regional burns. Uh. And in a way, I mean, he is a, a musician. So... We're told that Aelin McMidna was the fairy musician of the Tuatha de Danann, again, the powerful rulers of the other world. Um, Now, Aelin is often described in this case as a dark figure with fiery breath, armed with both a, a supernatural harp that could lull mortals to sleep, as well as a poisoned spear. Now the spear in this in this case it doesn't seem uh, again all of these things it kind of depends on the, the telling and, and who's writing it down but the spear doesn't seem to be poisoned in the traditional sense. Though I, it also does sound like it will still poison you if you're stabbed with it, <laughs> but more to the point, it emits poisonous fumes. So it's like it, it's pretty fa- fabulous vision uh, to have in your mind. This idea here's this uh, this is a dark, fiery monster being and has a harp in one hand and the other this this spear that is just smoking with poison. Mm. I'll also point out that if you start looking at illustrations of uh, of Aelin you'll find it's kind of all over the place. Like there's, there's a pretty famous one where Ailen looks like this kind of monolithic dark giant that kind of looks almost like a robot mm. uh, firing a blast of energy at Finn McCool. And uh, I really love that image. And it, and it kind of keeps with this idea of sort of the, the elder superpowers of the Tuatha Dé But then I also found one where uh, Ailen McMinnah just looks like a big grotesque demonoid goblin creature shooting fire out of his uh, like his uh, his pig-like nostrils. Yeah, out
0: of the nose. Like he's blowing his nose and fire's coming out. And he's got one big horn in the middle of his head. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so I, I was reading a, a little bit more about uh, Aelin in uh, Carol Rose's uh, Fairy Spirits, Leprechauns, and Goblins. She, of course, has a section where she discusses uh, this particular Aelin and discusses how Aelin comes to play uh, for the Palace of Tara uh, uh, on, on the uh, the festival of Solon and uh, he becomes irate because he's playing this music on this magical harp and what does it do it puts everyone to sleep that is kind of his or this harp's magical power mm-hmm. uh so i mean really Shame on him. He should be expecting this, uh, but he gets mad instead. So he's like, what are you doing? Falling to sleep during my beautiful music. He takes up his spear and he blasts three blasts of fire from his nostrils and he destroys the entire palace, the entire castle, just completely destroyed. So what do you do? Well, they rebuilt the castle. Uh, and then the same thing happened again the following year. I don't know why they booked Aelin again for the same <laughs> gig that destroyed the castle. I, I, actually, I don't think they booked him. I think the idea is he keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, such is his rage at this place, such is his lust for vengeance. Uh, and then every time he destroys the place, they have to build it back up. And this cycle repeats itself for more than two decades. After wow. 23 years of this, Finn McCool steps up yes. and defeats the, the the beast. He comes in very much like um, it's, it's very much like a Beowulf and Grindel situation. Uh, you know, here is a, here's the monster that keeps attacking the, the center of of culture and civilization, and then eventually you need a, an outsider, a hero, to step in and really put the boots to the monster. Now, I'm thinking a, a a big challenge with fighting this monster is going to be if he's got like a,
0: a like a lute or a, or a dulcimer or whatever that when he plays it uh, everybody goes to
1: sleep. Can't he lull any conquering hero to sleep? Yeah, but luckily Finn McCool, he's a sneaky one. Uh, he uh, I, I read that one of the the tactics he employs here to make himself immune to the magic, uh, he he huffs the fumes from the spear, which are so, uh, one of the, like the poisonous uh, effects of it is that it keeps you from falling asleep. Mm. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that that would work but in in the story that's that is what is uh, said to have occurred so he's immune to the music and then he's able to get in close battle uh the alien and then uh, stab the alien with his own poisonous spear uh, thus killing him. Uh, in some versions he Uh, He doesn't stab him with it. He just like holds it close enough to where he has to breathe in all of those poisonous fumes and then dies of the poison. Now, you referenced that book by uh, James McKellop earlier. And uh, uh, McKellop points out that, yeah, this is basically the same model found in Beowulf as well. Uh, The oldest uh, alien tales date back in writing to the 12th century. But there are also other accounts, and uh, McKellop goes into these, of Finn doing battle with other fire-based creatures. Mm. Now, according to Monaghan, this Ailin Ailin McMigna, is the most famous Ailin, but there was another Ailin of note as well, Aelin Tretchen, uh, the triple-headed Ailin, and it would attack uh, the, the Irish cities, Tara and Demain Macha, and uh, sometimes it's described as male, sometimes it's described as female, and it's said to live in a cave, and it may be associated with uh, the Monaghan. Uh, the difference between the two uh, aliens is, quote, difficult to discern.
0: You know, this is not unique to uh, Irish legend and myth, but it, it does seem like there's a lot of uh, sort of mytheme contagion, little elements of one mythic figure or story just bleeding over into the other. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I know we've been building up the thumb the whole time. You, you at home are thinking like, <laughs> when are they going to get to the thumb? We got to know about the thumb. So we are going to talk about that, but I think we need to save it for the next part in the
1: series, which is going to be all thumb. Yeah. All thumb uh, right in the mouth. Uh, it's Or in this case, in the ears. <laughs> Uh, because you'll be listening, uh, yeah. So next next episode, we will get into the, the story of Finn McCool and the Thumb of Knowledge, the different versions of it, uh, how and to what extent it bleeds over into other hero stories, and uh, you yeah, know, we'll maybe get into it a little a little bit of the potential science of uh, of the Thumb of Knowledge as well. And hey, that episode's going to come out on St. Patrick's Day itself, so uh, I think that's perfect. Brilliant. All right. In the meantime, if you would like to listen to other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, it publishes on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. On Mondays, we do listener mail. On Wednesdays, we do an artifact or monster fact. And then on Fridays, we do weird house cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a strange film.